0: Network listeners, welcome to another episode of the call sheet. Kevin Smith, your host, with you talking about week two games, some of the exciting things that happened on the field over the weekend, and unfortunately, some of the effects of playing football in the NFL, which include devastating injuries. That's been a big theme in the NFL so far this season. We're going to get to all that. We're going to honor a player who wore number 23 and in the second half of this show we're going to talk to my good buddy Pez who was here 2 weeks ago laid out some picks did really well put some more picks up on Twitter over the past weekend and 2 weeks into the season if you've been uh, betting Pez betting betting his picks you're doing pretty well so we're going to we're going to hear what Pez has to say about the week 3 games that'll that'll be the second part of the show so this is episode 23 and as we do here on the show, we like to give a shout out to a former NFL player or a current player who wore the number of the episode. And the number 23, I think undeniably the best player in the league right now to wear it is Christian McCaffrey. And I love to watch Christian McCaffrey play. He is an extremely dynamic and diverse playmaker, a really modern NFL running back. But let's go back a little bit to honor another 23, another super dynamic and exciting player, Devin Hester. And I, I picked Devin Hester because he specialized in a play that is unfortunately being phased out of the NFL game. Devin Hester was one of the greatest kick returners of all time, kick and punt returners. But it was Devin Hester's ability to take kickoffs back to the house That made him so special. He is the NFL's all-time leader in kick-return touchdowns. And Devin Hester, every time he touched the ball on a kickoff return, he just had that ability. And he threatened to take it all the way. And I don't know if there's a single play in professional football that's more exciting than a kick-return touchdown. The league on yeah, I think unfortunately is really trying to phase out kick returns. And I, I get it, I understand the safety issue. And that is something that, that has to be taken very, very seriously. Kick returns have show, have shown themselves to be a cause of concussions just because of the, the sheer nature of having guys run full speed, slam into one another. I remember running down on kickoffs in college. It felt like a, a, a bit of a, a kamikaze mission, man. You were flying down the field as fast as you could. And if you didn't have your head on a swivel, the way that teams would scheme back then, uh, you could you could target people. I mean, you could crack back. You could do just about anything that you wanted. There weren't a whole lot of rules uh, restricting the physicality of the play. So obviously it's a play that that's pretty dangerous. But when you see a great kick return happening, the uh, you know the blocking kind of opens up. You see the little seam. Sometimes you see the seam developing around the thirty yard line and the returner's way back with the ball and maybe the twelve or the fifteen. And you kind of wonder in that in that brief moment, is he going to get there? Is he going to get there before that seam closes? And that's such an exciting and dynamic play. And then if he does make it through the seam, if you do if you do see the returner hit it in that opening it then becomes the fascinating scenario where he winds up one-on-one with the kicker and every once in a while you get a kicker who makes a play, right? You get a kicker who runs him, takes a good angle and runs him out of bounds or, or maybe just gets enough of a piece of the returner to allow some of the pursuit to catch up. But I don't know, I man, I, you know, it's, it's almost romantic to me, right? The returner catches the ball down around the goal line, right? He gets out with a burst. He makes a cut. He hits a seam around the 25 yard line. He he bursts through the seam. And now he's one on one with the kicker. And you kind of hold your breath. And you just say, like, oh, you know, depending on who you're rooting for, you like get him or 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 don't. And if he clears the kicker and he's and he's off to the races, you get that sort of glorious final 20 or 30 yards where a return man sort of coasts into the end zone, the stadium's going nuts. I it's just an exciting play, man. And I love the kick return. And Devin Hester was the best at it, maybe the best of all time at it. And I'll always remember number 23 as a result. And if they phase out the game, I, I can't remember if it was the XFL or the USFL. might have been the XFL that went to that kind of interesting, I don't know if I, I'm a fan of it or not, alignment on the kickoff where they had the kicker kick it from the 40-yard line or the 30-yard the 30 yard line, I should say. Uh, but they had all the all the coverage guys line up downfield at around the other team's 30. And then as soon as the return man touched the ball, everybody could go. It certainly minimized the contact. They're trying to find an alternative. I fear that it'll be phased out of the game eventually, however. So if it, if it is ever phased out, Devin Hester will go down as maybe the greatest of all time. All right, on to the games of the weekend, right? Week two, some really exciting football games this past week. Monday night had a bizarre game between Pittsburgh and Cleveland that, that showcased defensive touchdowns and weird turnovers where guys intercepted passes and then they fumbled the ball and then, uh, you know, ball changing hands or touching three or four different players in one play and terrible injury and in Nick Chubb in that game, which we're going to talk about momentarily. But the Steelers wind up pulling it out uh, on a on a, on their second defensive touchdown of the game with about five minutes to go, Pittsburgh's defense outscored their offense in that game, which is odd. Uh, and they were able to to get a victory. You got to find a way, I guess. And the Steelers did so. The Denver Washington game was fascinating. Denver blew a twenty one to three lead and then almost almost sent it back into overtime on the the Russell Wilson hail mary, uh, which was a fascinating little play, man. That the the Washington secondary players, nobody batted the ball down, man. They kind of knocked it up and knocked it around, and it wound up in the arms of a Denver receiver in the end zone. And they had a shot there with a two point conversion to send that game to overtime. And Detroit, Seattle, that was a fascinating game because those are two exciting teams. Uh, Detroit is, Detroit's going to be much wa- must watch television this this year when when Detroit plays. It really seems like there's great energy. And you never know exactly what the Lions will do. They've been in two excellent football games so far this year a 21 20 win over the Chiefs to open the season, and then an overtime game this weekend. So I'm really enjoying watching the, the young Lions play. And the Geno Smith comeback in Seattle has been awesome as well. Just, I wondered if Geno Smith maybe was like, you know, he caught lightning in a bottle last year after having a middling NFL career for a long time. And then he just, He sort of shows up in in Seattle last year with an opportunity to start and has a great season. And he just wondered, hey, can he do it again? And it sure looks like it. So that's a great story up there in Seattle with Geno Smith. And then, of course, a a game I paid close attention to, the Rams and the 49ers, simply because Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan are two of the most excellent play designers in the NFL and play callers. And I love watching what they do with their offenses, just the ways in which they make their offenses more intricate, uh, protect their core plays, add complexity without reinventing the scheme, simple tweaks that they do to to make their their scheme harder to defend. So they're, they're fascinating for me to watch. So, man, there's a lot on the table in week two, some really, really good games. Unfortunately, and this is just the nature of the beast, for the second week in a row, one of the biggest headlines involved injuries. In week 1, of course, it was Aaron Rodgers four plays into his New York Jets career tearing his Achilles. He'll be done for the season. Last night in the Monday night game in Pittsburgh, it was Nick Chubb suffering a really horrific injury. Um I mean, I gave a lot of credit to the network, I think it was ABC carrying the game uh that for not showing the replay. And when the play happened, the camera angle didn't really give you a view of what had happened, and and you know, Chubb went down, and and Minka Fitzpatrick, who made made the tackle, he he went down as well, and the two guys were down. And I mean, then you just heard, you heard, uh, I think it was Mike Tirico say, oh, you know, we've been we've been informed that the the injury to Nick to Nick Chubb is particularly gruesome, and we're not going to show it. And then you heard the whole crowd. They must have shown the replay on the big board and the whole crowd in Pittsburgh just gassed. I was just one like collective like, oh, and and you knew it was bad. And of course, you know, they that's why Twitter exists, right? Twitter exists to uh, to put stuff out there. And of course, I saw it later on Twitter. It was awful. It was awful. Uh, And obviously, everybody now is thinking of Nick Chubb, as they all should be. Heck of a football player does things the right way cornerstone of a franchise kind of guy. And it's the second week in a row now that the Browns have lost one of their best players. They lost Jack Conklin, the right tackle in week one, they lose Chubb in week two, obviously Chubb will be gone for the season. You can only hope that he can rebound and rebuild his career uh, after an injury like that. Who knows? Who knows? I've seen some bad injuries uh, in my life around football, whether, uh, live in person or on TV Monday night. There've been three on Monday night football that I can think of way back in the day, in the mid 1980s, Joe Theismann, probably the, probably the one that everybody who's my age remembers the most Joe Theismann's uh, compound fracture on a sack from Lawrence Taylor. That was really kind of the first one I remember seeing on television. That was really particularly gruesome. And I was a, a young kid. I was a young Young, I'm a, I think I was in high school I was a young high school player at the time and I <laughs> just kind of remember thinking like oh do I I, I really want to keep doing this uh, but of course, you know you're young and dumb and you're like, yeah and you love the game uh, and then and then just a few years back, uh, might have been 2017 2018 Ryan Shazier's injury in Cincinnati uh, and that that was terrifying because it was life-threatening and you just you just wondered if Shazier was going to survive it. Uh, and then, of course, if he would walk again, really ended his career there. Chubb's injury, of course, uh, last night again, man, really, really gruesome to watch. So, so it's 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 both unfortunate, but but also in a sort of cold sense, it's the nature of the beast. It's football, and teams are going to have to have a plan to rebound. Last night, Cleveland. Lined up at right tackle with rookie Dewan Jones, the the massive six foot eight, three hundred seventy four pound fourth round draft pick out of Ohio State, he's the next man up. And he did a pretty good job last night. He drew T.J. Watt as his assignment, and that is no no walk in the park. and And he did a pretty good job. And so the next man up mentality, it just, it just has to take hold. And and, that, and and again, it's a it's a cold way of looking at things, but. It's there's no other choice. What else do you do other than say we have to we have to move on. We got to find the next guy. And, uh, you know, Cleveland will do so whether that next guy is in-house, whether they they go out and find somebody. There's already been talked that maybe they'll they'll go resign Kareem Hunt, uh, who is still available. Uh, I don't know what they're going to wind up doing, but I I just hope that whatever it is. that Nick Chubb can make a return to football, and of course, when he does, that he'll be something resembling the player that he is—clearly one of the best running backs in the NFL. Okay, next topic. I love to talk about coaching on this show. This is a show, the call sheet that is largely about coaching, and I thought there were some interesting coaching decisions over the weekend worthy of of mentioning here. So let's talk about a couple. So on last week's show. We took some time to focus on some of the really interesting fourth down decisions from week one. There were some pretty pivotal fourth down decisions that were made by Dan Campbell of the Lions and and by Andy Reid in Kansas City and and Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. And and that trend continued. Coaches seem to be getting more aggressive in going for it. On fourth down, no matter where they are in the field, I, I studied a, a, a study last last week by the New York Times that said that it is w- with the increasing uh, effectiveness of modern offenses and NFL kickers that punting the ball is uh, has a diminishing effect, and that it, it is increasingly valuable to go for it on fourth down, even in your own territory. And teams really seem to be getting aggressive. In that regard, I thought the most interesting fourth down call this past weekend was from from Kyle Shanahan in that Rams 49ers game. The, the The 49ers faced fourth and goal from the one yard line with one second left in the first half. Right. So there's only time for one play. Are they going to kick the field goal? There are pretty much a, a layup of a field goal, or are they going to try to score from the one they opted to score from the one They ran quarterback sneak? With Brock Purdy, never a bad decision behind an offensive line like theirs. And they scored. And that proved to be really pivotal because late in the game, the Rams got the ball back trailing 30-20 to with a minute and 34 remaining and obviously needed two scores to win the game. But had San Francisco opted for a field goal there at the end of the first half, they, you never know how the second half is going to transpire, a little butterfly effect going on there, right? Whatever whatever happens in one moment can always affect everything that comes after that moment. But had had the game continued on its course, San Francisco would have been up 26-20 to 20 when the Rams got the ball back, give Matthew Stafford a minute and a half, and he can do some damage. So that proved to be a pivotal decision by Kyle Shanahan you know and down in Detroit I caught some of that Detroit Seattle game not a whole lot of it but again Dan Campbell went for it again on fourth down near midfield in, in that contest you know it really it really seems as though he's in in essence said to his team we're going to be aggressive and we're going to be aggressive in in just about every situation and and if you're the head coach you have to be able to say to your defensive coordinator be prepared for this I mean, I'm I'm the head coach of a high school team, and I'm and I'm the play caller at our high school, and I I will tell our defensive coordinator it, before a game if we're let's say we're going to play a team who's got a great offense, and we want to keep that offense off the field, uh, and we feel like we need to score points. I'll go to him and I'll say, hey, look, man, we we might wind up being aggressive on fourth down today. We, we need to we need to hold on to the football. And we need to possess the ball and keep their offense on the sideline. And you got to be prepared. If, if we got fourth and four on our own 39 and, and I got a play that I like and I think that we can convert it, we're going to go for it. And if we don't get it, you got to be prepared, man. We're going to put you in a bad spot. We're going to make you play defense on a short field. And you're just going to have to deal with that. And so be ready. And I think that that's fair. That's fair to do. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not screwing your defensive coordinator, right? You're you're all in it together. It's not my offense versus your defense. We're all in it together. If this is the strategy we feel will best serve our team and give us the best chance to win, then we have to be prepared. I do think you need to communicate that. I do think it's unfair to simply do it out of the blue and then say to your DC, all right, well, go stop them on a on a 30 on a 39-yard field. Uh, but if you prepare for it, and there's a plan for it. I think that that type of aggressiveness can pay off. Uh, all right, on the X and O front, Miami, the Miami offense is the most interesting offense now at the moment in the NFL to watch. I love, the, I love watching the Rams. I love watching the 49ers. Uh, but but uh, Kyle Shanahan disciple Mike McDaniel is doing some really interesting thing things down there in Miami right now with his track team of an offense, one of the fastest offenses I've ever seen, what they've got going on down there in Miami right now. And there, there was, a, there was a, a play that the Dolphins ran. They actually ran a couple plays using uh, what what's being referred to as exit motion. And it's now making all the rounds. Every, every coach I follow on Twitter uh, or on Instagram is posting videos and diagrams and explanations of this exit motion that – Miami's using, and it's not revolutionary, but it's kind of interesting, right? What they're doing is they're putting Tyreek Hill in the slot, off the ball, and generally speaking, when a slot receiver motions, he motions back towards the formation. Most people are familiar with a jet motion, uh, a long motion where he's coming in towards the formation and the team's snapping the ball either right before he gets to the center and handing him the ball in a jet sweep, or after he, get, after he passes the center where He's sort of shifting the strength. If it's a two-by-two formation, he's motioning all the way over. It's becoming three-by-one. But what the Dolphins did with Hill on a couple of snaps on Sunday is they motioned him away from the formation. So they put him in the slot, and they actually motioned him towards the boundary, towards the sideline. And what what that did is it forced the defense now to either run with that motion or what ended up happening with the New England Patriots, they bumped their coverage. And so Hill bumped all the way to the outside, drawing a corner. And the wide receiver, uh, who was on the ball, now drew the slot defender. And evidently, you know, Miami liked that matchup. They were also expanding the width of the field. They ran Hill on what looked like a, a wheel route, just sort of a flat and then up the sideline. And then they ran just kind of a, a stick concept or a curl flat concept with the wide receiver And then the H-back, who actually had aligned on the opposite side of the ball, he came under the formation and out into the flat. And really what they were doing is they're just creating a horizontal stretch of the defense that allowed for some passing seams to open up. And one thing that we know about Tuo Tagovailoa is that he's really accurate with the football and he gets it out really quickly. And he was able to do that uh, on occasion in that game against New England and was pretty darn good uh, and in rhythm and boy, that Miami offense is humming. All right. On the flip side, real quick. Let's talk about, let's talk about two, two uh, offensive coordinators who seem to be struggling with their young quarterbacks. The first is in Chicago where, where Luke Getzey uh does not seem to be able to develop. Uh, uh, Justin Fields, right? Getzey's offense has really sort of ground to a halt fields who was really effective on the ground last year has kind of been handcuffed as a runner. The The bears have really sort of pulled back on the designed runs that they use. And even on the run options, they're still letting, they're still letting fields throw RPOs, but RPOs are not run options for a quarterback. It's a run pass option where generally speaking, he's going to hand the ball off or throw it. It's not a read option where he's going to read an unblocked defender and decide whether to hand the ball off or run it, Himself. They're not really running fields much. And he hasn't developed as much yet as a pocket passer for him to be effective, just standing back there and slinging it. There's a the other troubling thing with the scheme in Chicago is it seems to be really predictable. If you listen to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were Chicago's opponent on Sunday, talk, they seemed very comfortable defending Chicago. In fact, linebacker Levante David. Uh, after the game said about the game clinching interception, Tampa Bay won 20 to 17 and had a game, a late interception that clinched the game. He said, everybody on the defense knew what was coming. We were prepared for it. You know, so that's always a damning statement about an offensive coordinator. When, when the the defense feels comfortable enough to say, you know, we, we know what's, what's going to happen here. Then the offense is certainly too predictable. And the other coordinator struggling with his young quarterback is in Pittsburgh, where Matt Canada has just not been able to get Kenny Pickett untracked early this season. Pickett last year got better and better as the season went. Pittsburgh closed the season seven and two. Pickett started eight of those nine games, uh, and he got increasingly uh, effective as, as the Steelers ran the ball well and then were able to throw the ball after they established the run. Uh, Pickett led four game-winning drives in the fourth quarter down the stretch last year. So, I mean, the Pittsburgh philosophy last year seemed to be run the ball well, keep it close. And if Kenny Pickett's got to make some plays in the fourth to win it for us, so be it. But so far this year, Pickett has really struggled. He just looks out of rhythm. Uh, He doesn't seem to know exactly what he's looking at. He's been off target with some throws. And Canada really hasn't done much to help him. In week one against San Francisco, Canada insisted on throwing the ball off of seven-step drops, which are full-field reads and often hard to complete. Even though the the 49ers defense was clearly confusing Pickett and was was aggressive, was putting a lot of pressure on him, It, it really felt like Canada needed to give Pickett some quick, easy throws to build some rhythm or some confidence. And then on Monday night against Cleveland, Pittsburgh's Deontay Johnson, who has received more targets each year over the last three years than any Pittsburgh receiver. So really their go-to guy was out of the lineup. And so you'd think, all right, well, he's out of the lineup. Let's give Pickett a good security blanket. The Steelers have three very good tight ends and Pat Friermuth, Connor Hayward, Hayward, and massive rookie Darnell Washington. Those three tight ends had a grand total of one target on Monday night. Pickett went 15 for 30, passing 50% completion percentage in the NFL these days is terrible. Uh, and, and just didn't really have a go-to guy. And it, it felt like like Canada was unable to really give him or provide him, other than George Pickens, who had a big night, uh, receivers with whom uh, Pickett was comfortable. So getting the tight ends involved probably would have been a smart move on his part. So you see some, some great decisions, some questionable decisions. Uh, it's all fascinating. And we're two weeks in, and and the NFL is starting. You're starting to see something shape up, and, and some some direction being established, and uh, and that's really cool. All right, we're gonna take a break. And on the flip side, I'm gonna have back my buddy Pez, and we're gonna to get to the second segment of Pez's picks, where he'll give you some of uh, the games he likes the most this week. And he's been pretty hot so far. So if you're if you're uh, of the gambling sort, you might want to pay attention. All right, come on back after the break. Welcome back to The Call Sheet. Kevin Smith with you. In the second segment, we were, I, I, I say were, past tense, going to have my buddy Pez with us. To talk about his picks, he's our he's our in-house prognosticator on this program, and he's been giving us picks the last couple of weeks, and he's doing really well. But we can't get him, man. He's we're having some some technical difficulties. We can't get him connected here, and so uh, it's it's a tough business, man. Show business is tough. If you, if you can't show up, they just move on without you. Pez, man. I'm, I hate to do it to you, but we're learning we're learning the hard way. So so obviously we will continue to to work on getting him back on the call sheet throughout the year. But we're going to have to forge ahead without him here in segment two. Uh, But, but to recap, man, I want to give him some props because he's, he's picked 10 games for us these past two weeks and he's got six wins, three losses and a push. And in the betting world, that's pretty darn good. This past week, he had winners with Tampa and Buffalo. He lost with Cincinnati and, He had a push with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I was kind of kidding him earlier about the Cincinnati pick because on last week's show, he called Joe Burrow a fraud. And I said to him, uh, well, that's probably the most provocative thing that's ever been said on the call sheet. And he thought that that was funny. And then he turned around and he picked the Bengals this week uh, and they lost and it was his one loss of the week. And so he's doubling down, doubling down on the Joe Burrow is a fraud narrative uh, so take that for what it's worth, but while he may make some controversial statements from time to time, he's pretty good at picking games. So I'll tweet out Pez's picks this week. Catch me on Twitter at KT Smith FFSN, and if you're a, a betting man or woman and you want some advice, he's a pretty good guy to listen to. So Pez's picks coming out on Twitter in the next day or two. All right, so so I'm not a, I'm not a gambler myself. I'm not I'm not very good at it. Uh, I don't seem to have the uh, – I don't know if it's the cold, hard mind that some gamblers have, uh, but sometimes I can get talked into things. I—I I, I, Maybe it's the coach's perspective. You see the argument for both teams. Uh, I've just never been a great better. But I do like to pick games and, and, and not necessarily wager on them, but I'm going to whip through some of the week three games here. I'll actually go through the whole week three schedule, and I'm going to give you a winner for each game. This is nothing against the spread; just picking winners and losers. I'll give you a quick, quick thought as to why for each game. And hey, we'll see how I do. I mean, I'm I'm by no means suggesting you follow my advice, but these are just some thoughts that I have on the week three games. So, week three really starts Thursday night with the Giants at San Francisco. The Giants are a crazy story. Through the first six quarters of the season, they were outscored sixty to nothing, sixty to nothing through the first six quarters, and then miraculously. They put everything together and uh, played really well to get a win against Arizona last week. Uh, But they're going to San Francisco on Thursday night. That's a really tough ask, right? you got to travel across the country to play arguably one of the two or three best teams in the league. And I don't think it's going to go well for the Giants. Give me San Francisco in that one. Uh, On Sunday, Tennessee goes to Cleveland. I think the Browns will rally the troops Uh, They've had two devastating injuries already in Jack Conklin and Nick Chubb. And while while they may be down on the offensive side of the ball, I think they'll pull it together at home and get a win over a Titans team that seems to play close games constantly. Probably be one of those like 1917 slugfest kind of games. Uh, But I would look for Cleveland to to win that one. Really intriguing game in Detroit on Sunday as the Atlanta Falcons, 2-0 Falcons, tied for first in the NFC South, traveled to Detroit to play the Lions, who knocked off Kansas City in week one and then lost a heartbreaker in overtime last week to Seattle. I like the Lions in that one just because I think that they're the better football team. And and while I like Atlanta, and I did pick Atlanta, so talking about predictions, I'm not great at them, but Atlanta was my pick to win the NFC South. And I'm really impressed with Bijan Robinson. He looks like the real deal for sure. But I think that that crowd in Detroit will be worked up, and uh, I, I think the Lions will will get the win. Another two zero NFC South team goes on the road to play an NFC North team. That is New Orleans traveling to Green Bay. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Saints in that one. I just don't think Jordan Love's there yet as a quarterback. I think he's got some growing to do, and I don't think I don't think Green Bay's deep enough to overcome it. Uh, boy, it would have been a real big confidence booster if Jordan Love could have finished out last week's game and gotten a win for green Bay green Bay got the ball back with about a minute to go down 25 24 love had a chance to move him into field goal range but he threw four straight incompletions and Atlanta uh, uh and they they lost that game and it just felt like like there were some chances there for the Packers but they're they're not quite there yet as an offense and that's a really tough New Orleans defense that he's going to have to face so I'll take I'll take New Orleans on the road there. They'd be my first road winner. Uh, Denver, Miami, I I really like the Dolphins. I think they're playing great football. I think they're tough at home. I would take the Dolphins there. The Chargers at Minnesota is going to be a fascinating game because these are two teams that were projected playoff teams, and one of them is going to be 0-3. And when you go 0-3, the chances of making the playoffs historically are now less than 10%. And so who's it going to be, right? Is it going to be the Chargers or Minnesota? I'll take the home team simply because uh, I think that, obviously, home field advantage matters in the NFL. Uh, And I think that the Chargers are just not not there right now. They don't seem to be a team that can put uh, it it together in all phases. And I don't think Minnesota is an 0-3 football team. So if one of those teams is an 0-3 team, my suspicion is it's the Chargers. Uh, I'll take the Jets over New England. New England, I think, will become an 0-3 football team. And and that's just and that's going to get harder for them the following week because they play the Dallas Cowboys. So I, I'm guessing New England's going to wind up being 0 and 4 a month into the season, and that that will be just shocking. I don't I don't think New England's a very good football team, but I don't know if I can ever remember a Bill Belichick team being 0 and 4. The Buffalo Washington game is going to be another excellent game. Washington is 2 and 0 for the first time in 12 years. Buffalo lost and looked bad doing it in Week One, but rebounded and were strong. Last week, I like the Bills on the road. I just think they're a really good football team and and that Josh Allen will start putting some things together. I like Jacksonville at home to beat Houston. I like Baltimore at home to beat Indy, Houston and Indy, both starting rookie quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson went out with a concussion last week. Not sure about his availability, but if Gardner Minshew plays, I mean, I like Gardner Minshew. I just don't think he's going into Baltimore and beating the Ravens. Uh, I'll take Seattle at home over Carolina. There's another rookie quarterback, the third of the three rookie quarterbacks who are starting. Bryce Young having to go up into Seattle, which is a really tough place to play. That 12th man crowd up there usually seems to affect football games. I think the Chiefs will roll at home against a Chicago team that's really struggling to put together their offense. Justin Fields looks a bit lost. Uh, The Dallas Cowboys go on the road at Arizona. They're going to be my third. Road winner uh, Dallas has a point differential this year of plus sixty, which is far and away the most in the NFL, and and I just think that they've they're rolling right now. Now I don't know if Dallas is going to be able to roll for for seventeen games. They usually seem to have these stretches in a season where they bog down or hurt themselves. But right now they got a good thing going. And poor Arizona, they're going to continue to take some lumps. That was a devastating loss for them last week. The Steelers go to Las Vegas on Sunday night. Uh, It's tempting to pick Las Vegas because the Steelers historically, when they travel to the West coast, don't play great football. But right now with some of the struggles that they're having, I think it, I think it would be a good time for them to get away. I think it will help the offense to get away. Steelers fans were chanting fire Canada in relation to offense coordinator, Matt Canada in their game on Monday night against Cleveland and, and getting away from home and rallying, or rallying the troops, so to speak, I think will be a good thing for the Steelers. Vegas is minus 27 in their point differential so far this year, even though they're 1-1, one and one. so I'll take the Steelers on the road on Sunday night. I'll take the Eagles on the road Monday night as they go down to 2-0 and Tampa Bay, who's been a really good feel-good story. The Eagles haven't played great football the first two weeks, but I suspect that they're going to put it together in week three. And then the final game of, of the week is a really fascinating one. The Rams go to Cincinnati uh, in what is pretty much a must-win game for the Bengals. If the Bengals don't win on Monday night, they will fall to 0-3. And like I said earlier, that's 0-3 teams have a historically have a, a less than 10% success rate at reaching the playoffs. And I think that that gets compounded by a really competitive AFC and a very tough AFC North in particular. I'm not sure if Joe Burrow is playing or not with that calf injury. Uh, But I just think Cincinnati will rally. I think the Rams are an improved team over over their five wins from last season. But I think Cincinnati will rally and find a way to get it done on Monday night so that they do not go 0 3. So I got five road teams, I got 11 home teams. Uh, Like I said, man, I'm not, historically speaking, I don't think I'm the greatest at picking games. But I think that, you you know, in, in many instances, you can talk yourself into uh, picking either team. But this week, there just seemed to be more, I don't want to say lopsided games, but I'd say more games where you feel fairly confident about the outcome, right? You feel fairly confident Miami's going to beat Denver. You feel fairly confident uh, that Jacksonville will beat Houston, that Baltimore will beat Indy, that Seattle will beat Carolina, that Kansas City will beat the Chiefs, Dallas, Arizona, and those are all games. San Francisco, the Giants, there's another one. Those are all games where I think if you're just picking games based on winners and not the spread, there seem to be some games that are, are pretty cut and dry. So week three may not be the most competitive week in the NFL. All right, a final note before we, we get on out of here. So, so one thing I'm, I'm going to start doing at the end of each show is picking a guy in the league who I want to – just sort of give props to as we exit the show. I do a show on the Steel Curtain Network with with Brian Anthony Davis, and we always end that show. That's that's the Here We Go show, which is a, a Pittsburgh Steelers podcast, and we always end with our with what we call the Dude of the Week. And I'm not going to steal that from Here We Go, but I do want to honor a player each week who I think is worthy of being honored. And the guy that let, let's 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 talk real briefly about Puka Nakua. The rookie wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams, who is absolutely shattering the record book out of the gate. The rookie has 25 catches for 266 yards in two games so far this season. Just for some context, the record for the most catches uh, in their first two games in NFL history is 19. So, 19 was the record for the most receptions by a rookie over their first two games. The record for the most receptions by a rookie over their first three games is 23. Or I should say was 23. So so Puka Nakua has more catches in his first two games as a rookie than any player in NFL history has had over their first three. And that is pretty sensational. Obviously, he's become a favorite of Matthew Stafford's early in his career. And he has filled a huge void with Cooper Cup out of the lineup for the Rams. So shout out to Puka Nakua, and we'll see how many he's averaging 12 and a half receptions per game <laughs> so far for the season. So we'll see how many he gets on Monday night in Cincinnati. And on a final note, with Puka Nakua playing so well in Los Angeles, I'd just like to make a re- recommendation that the, the Rams part ways with Cooper Cup, trade him to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think maybe a fifth round pick would be ideal. Let's get that deal done, Omar Khan. The Khan artist, as Steeler fans are now referring to Omar Khan for his ability to work trades that have been really favorable for the Steelers. So Puka Naku is kicking butt in L.A. Omar, get on the phone, brother. Let's let's hook it up. Let's get Cooper Cup for a fifth-round pick and, and help that Steelers offense, which has looked really dreadful over the first two weeks. All right, that's our show. That is The Call Sheet, episode 23. We will be back next week with episode 24. A lot of great football players who have worn the number 24. We'll pick one to highlight. We'll go through the week three games, and we'll find some topics like we always do each week to focus on from a coaching perspective and a football perspective. So I hope you come on back and listen to that with me. Have a great week, everybody.